This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. So, Father in heaven, we thank you that you have brought your son Jesus back from the dead. We thank you that in your mercy and your love for us that you have freed the human family. You have given us the potential to be free from the power of sin, to be free from the grip of the devil, to be free from the fear of death. Thank you for liberating us. We pray that uh, we will turn to you, accept your grace, and accept your invitation to be a follower of your son Jesus, to be a disciple, to live the way that he commanded, so that we can come into that intimate knowledge of him and our relationship with you. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus and for the sake of your son Jesus and his glorious kingdom. Amen. Amen. <coughs> so from the, from the top of the roof at Christ Church, we come to you with a, a very small community that's uh, under lockdown or and, and under, in some circumstances, we're uh, in curfew, and uh, we're here to lift up Jesus and to remind us of the power and you might say even the potential of the resurrection. And it, it always, always has uh, struck me that uh, the role of the resurrection, the place of the resurrection in the lives of uh, most Christians always gets relegated to one Sunday a year and always gets relegated to funerals. We don't think about it very much uh, through the year. But I'd like to just use the Gospel of Matthew uh, as a basis and to point out some unique features uh, about the resurrection or the death and resurrection as we, as we have uh, been reading in the Gospel of Matthew as a way Yes, of, of uh, reminding us that the resurrection of Jesus yes, is relevant for us every day of our lives. Not only is it relevant for every day of our lives, it's relevant for our discipleship, it's relevant in preparing us, yes, to die and to uh, be physically uh, resurrected uh, in the world, in the world to come. Matthew's account the gospel that we just read is somewhat short, yes, and uh, as I said, it has a few unique aspects. But before we, um, before I point some of those out, I'd just like to remind us of something else that's quite unique to Matthew and Matthew's gospel. That Matthew's gospel reminds us or highlights over and over again that Jesus isn't only the Messiah, he's not only the, the divine uh, son of man that we read about in Daniel chapter 7. He's not simply the son of David, but that Jesus is also a teacher. And uh, he has that important role of uh, teaching us how to live, teaching us what God is like. And of course, one of his most, you might say, prominent or, or the, the thing that uh, he dwells on the most, thing that he wants to illustrate or demonstrate, is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, a Jewish concept that um, Jesus takes, he makes it his own. He uh, begins to uh, expand it 
and to illustrate it in a way that uh, it hasn't been done before. And the kingdom of heaven for Jesus is, is a present reality. It's not so only something that happens to us when we die. It's not about his return, but it's about the place, yes, in the lives of individuals or the lives of communities where God is ruling and reigning, where God is restoring lives, where God is bringing healing and deliverance and salvation. Yet this place where God rules and God reigns has to reflect his character and it has to uh, operate according to the principles uh, that uh, are uh, highlighted, you might say, or, or taught to us by Jesus. And it's those principles where we have the most problem. We all like the healings. We all like being delivered. We like miracles. We like the, the wonders of, of restoration and reconciliation, even though it may sometimes hurt, yes? But common sense, our common sense, our fallen human nature, the culture of this world says, you've got to be kidding. Is, is the last really first? Yes. Is the servant really the greatest? If you want to save your life, do you have to give it away? None of that makes sense. Absolutely none of it makes sense. And so, consequently, we find it difficult to live by these principles. Yet if we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus himself, he not only lives by these principles, I don't know if some people ever think about it, but he actually, Jesus actually practices what he preaches, but actually he dies uh, by what he teaches as well. And how does the death of Jesus, or what happens with the death and resurrection of Jesus, especially found in Matthew 28? It's in, this, uh, it's in Matthew's Gospel that, as I said, we see some unique features, similar to Mark, but very different to Luke and to, um, and to John. Because in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus and perhaps more than any other gospel, he's abandoned. Yes, there's no one there to support him. The religious establishment has turned against Jesus. The um, disciples have run away. We don't find his family, even as the family of Jesus, we don't find them at the cross. They have left him. We um, see that the thieves on the cross, the thieves that have been crucified, to his right and to his left. They uh, also mock him. Matthew's Gospel knows nothing of the, the, the so-called good thief that we meet uh, in Luke's story of the, of the crucifixion. And so Jesus is totally alone. Jesus is, uh, he feels like he's been abandoned. He feels like he's been abandoned to the point that he will cry out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Had, has the God of Israel, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, did he abandon his son on the cross? As many people suggest, I don't agree. But is it uh, conceivable, yes, that Jesus felt as if God had abandoned him? And the answer is yes. And I think that that's very essential, that Jesus 
can identify with us, yes, as we struggle and go through life. And very often, more often than not, we will ask the question, where is God? Why isn't he near? Why doesn't he come to my deliverance? In the midst of being humiliated, in the midst of being mocked, I think Jesus is mocked in Matthew's gospel as he is in no other gospel, and in, in the midst of uh, being slandered, what does Jesus do and how does he react? He continues to teach, he continues to warn, he forgives uh, those who are crucifying him, he even heals. You may remember that when uh, a few days before his crucifixion, or the night before when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Peter takes out a sword and wants to start a messianic revolution, he cuts off the ear of the uh, slave of the high priest, and Jesus in his compassion, yes, touches that man. I think I'd like to stop here for a moment and just ask, if Jesus can be so compassionate, especially to those who are humiliated, yes, to those who are being tortured, to those who are suffering, to those who are being abandoned or have been abandoned, yes, to those who feel like failures, because humanly speaking, the life of Jesus when he's on that cross looks like a failure. Here's some itinerant rabbi Yes, who gets himself in trouble with the religious establishment and the Roman authorities, uh, like so many before him. You know, his life is of no consequence. So it would seem. Yes, if Jesus can be compassionate, can have compassion in that situation, is it not essential that we also have compassion to people who we find? Yes. Uh, in similar circumstances. And you might ask, where is God's vindication? Why isn't God coming to the rescue of his son? Why isn't God, you know, just proving all these people to be wrong? Yes, all of us want vindication when we're falsely accused or when we're misunderstood. God, come and fix things. Show everybody that actually I'm right and they're wrong. And that vindication, that vindication comes, but it comes, strangely enough, only after Jesus dies. Yes. And after Jesus dies, we have people in Matthew's gospel, according to his account, they come out of the grave. We have darkness, we have earthquakes. And all of a sudden, it's as if God is saying, after his son brutally, after his son suffered and uh, was executed, God is saying, you see, he was right all along. He was right all along. And then the resurrection itself is the ultimate vindication, the ultimate vindication of who Jesus is. Yes. And that uh, actually God was indeed with him. But we should all ask the question, if we haven't asked it already, why do we suffer? And only after suffering is there vindication. Why didn't God somehow deliver Jesus before? Jesus in Luke's Gospel says, I must suffer before I enter my glory. So whether it's in Matthew 5 or Matthew 10 or Matthew 24, 
Yes, before there's redemption, before there's vindication, there's often suffering. Many of us have read Matthew 24, especially people who come to Jerusalem. It's about the end of the age and the birth pangs of the Messiah. It's about those things that will happen before Jesus returns. But why, why must these things happen? Why must all this bad stuff occur before Jesus, Jesus comes back? Yes? And the answer to that question is, I don't think any of us know. I don't think any of us understand. But it's at that moment, I believe, that God shows, yes, that the last will be first, that those who serve will become the greatest, and that in order to save your life, you have to give it away. There is a vindication of the teaching of Jesus. And that's where I think the resurrection can be and should be very helpful for us as disciples. It's not about only about us dying and going to heaven, which is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to have the assurance that death has been defeated. Yes. But sometimes I think we just kind of try to conjure this up as we get closer to death or when we have a funeral or when somehow Easter is approaching and we're going to get all excited. But yet there's a way of living in the resurrection. There's a way of living out that teaching of Jesus, which again doesn't make sense to human, to us as human beings, which enable us, which will enable us to live, yes, in relationship, intimate relationship with uh, God himself through his son Jesus the Messiah, and which will prepare ourselves, each one of us, for our death. Yes, and it's an old cliche, but it's a true cliche. Life is short, and it, and it ends when we least expect it. During Holy Week, we talked about some of the parables of Jesus and how those parables, uh, and this is thanks to the insights of Professor Steve Notley, how those parables of Jesus, the parable of the two sons, the parable of the talents, the parable of the, uh, of the, of the man coming unprepared to the wedding feast, how they all point to a reality, or they all point uh, and demand that we prepare ourselves. Yes, to be, um, to be able to be ready to stand before the judge, before the King of Kings, and to give, our, give an account of ourselves uh, at any time. Yes, and that's the resurrection. Paul, in his uh, magnificent letter to the, to the Philippians, he says the following, after talking about all of his earthly credentials, all of his Jewish credentials, that he was from Benjamin, he was zealous, he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, um, he persecuted uh, the church. And Paul says, uh, not to, by the way, not to downgrade Judaism or to denigrate Jewish tradition, but instead to say, I chose, I chose to follow Jesus, not because I was a failure in my religion. Yes, I chose to follow Jesus because what he offers is so much more and even so much greater. And Paul says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, and to be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but through, but that which is through faith in Christ, okay, the righteousness that comes from God that is by faith. So here Paul is talking about being justified by faith. Yes, he's talking about being made right uh, in God's sight. And of course, that, that is something that uh, is very essential. But what's the purpose? Yes, what's Paul's purpose here for being made, uh, for being justified? Paul doesn't talk about, oh, so that I can just go to heaven and I can be saved and all will be, you know, well, all will be wonderful after I die. Paul goes on to say, yes, he wants to be found in Christ. He wants to be found in a relationship, uh, in this relationship with the Lord. And how is that going to happen? He says, I want to know the Messiah and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. He wants to know Jesus. He wants to know that power of the resurrection. And he wants to know Yes, the fellowship of his sufferings. So I used to think, hey, the power of the resurrection, if we all could have that power of the resurrection, we could go around and heal the sick. We could hold evangelistic meetings and thousands of people will, be, will somehow come to faith. The power of the resurrection, that's what we all need. We need resurrection power in our bones. And uh, I don't want to in any way uh, integrate the power of the Holy Spirit. But that's not the resurrection power that Paul is talking about here. Uh, Jesus, in, in Matthew chapter 7, people come to Jesus and say, Hey, I can prophesy. I can cast out demons in your name. And Jesus says, You don't know me. Who are you? Depart from me. Yes. Here Paul talks about knowing the Messiah knowing Jesus. And how is he going to know that power of the resurrection? Yes, he's going to know it through the fellowship of his sufferings. Yes, what Paul is saying, very simply, yes, is that when we share in suffering, yes, when we share in misfortune, when we share in humiliation, yes, the humiliation uh, not just the humiliation that, uh, that happened to Jesus, but humiliation for being uh, his follower. When we share in failure, when we share in ineptitude, when we share in uh, physical, uh, uh, physical, uh, physical suffering of one kind or another, or if we're in the midst of a war or a natural disaster or even a plague, Yes, that when we share in those sufferings, it's a way that we're conformed, yes, to the death of Jesus. And it allows us to enter into a fellowship with him. It allows us to enter into a relationship with him uh, that is deep, that is intimate, and that is satisfactory. The power of the resurrection, what does it do? It enables us to conclude without a lot of doubt, yes, that actually 
the last will be first. It enables us to conclude and to live out the servant actually will become the greatest. Yes, It allows us to give our lives away because if we try to save our lives, we will actually lose it. Yes, it's the resurrection that vindicates Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, and allows us to come into that place, yes, where we can suffer and know that the suffering uh, has purpose, it has meaning, it has something redemptive about it. Why we suffer before we come into uh, a place of glory or we come into a, sometimes to a place of blessing, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think any of us know the answer to that. But the resurrection, yes, again, it's a vindication. Yes, it shows that we're not fools. It shows that somehow we're not wasting our lives by serving others. It shows that we're not uh, being stupid in some way by uh, surrendering our life to Christ and serving Him, uh, perhaps for little money or for uh, no fame or, or fortune or, uh, or a career. And if we can live by those values, if we can internalize them, yes, having doubts from time to time, if we can really believe Yes, that the last will be first. Yes, and that those among us who serve will ultimately be the greatest. If we can believe, yes, that by giving our lives away, we can actually save it. We actually prepare ourselves to meet the Lord and to come to that place, to come to that place, yes, that when He does call us home, Yes, we don't go home in fear. We don't tremble at standing before Him and giving an account. And we can truly, yes, truly trust in His mercy and His goodness. I'd like to end um, by reading from uh, Romans chapter 8. And uh, again, this is a passage which is some way, in some ways similar to Philippians. And it goes as follows. It says, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to, to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Indeed, we share in his sufferings we share in his sufferings yes but towards what end in order that we may also share in his glory can we believe that i can believe it because of the resurrection because jesus rose from the dead and people might say 
it's a fraud. I don't believe it. But this, as it says in Matthew's Gospel, the disciples really stole the body. Of course, it's a nonsense, is it? That frightened disciples who are, uh, who are scared and worried about their own arrest would go out at night and steal the body of Jesus. It doesn't make sense. But ultimately, the proof of the resurrection is that the risen Jesus has been changing the lives of people for 2,000 years. Yes. Not just my life or your life, but the lives of millions of people. And millions of people have come to the place where they can trust in Jesus, follow his teaching, be his disciple, because God has vindicated his son. He's given him that authority. And in response, yes, we put those teachings into practice. And as we read in Matthew's Gospel, we worship him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, in these difficult days, give us all eyes to see that you call upon us, yes, to conform to the death of your son. Yes, not just to put to death sin that is within us, but to share in his sufferings and the sufferings of the human family and those that he loves. And we pray that as we are able to accept this understanding, to put this reality into practice, that your promise of being, of coming into a more intimate, a more satisfying, a more rewarding relationship with your son will indeed be our reward. Lord, we are weak and we don't see very far. We don't always see very clearly. Help us in our weakness. And we pray that uh, you will give grace to each one of us. And we ask this in, in the name of the risen Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.